0: our news with Scotty Reed tonight on this broadcast I am joined uh, by Mike Ross and Mr. Ross is the libertarian candidate uh and reshape North Carolina's political future and if he could win the uh, great editorial race that he's in and it's a crowded field and it's a lot of money um, that's being raised by other candidates but if he was to capture the governor's uh, chair that is definitely you know a way to influence North Carolina's political future now uh, we hope to hear about his financial background, his passion for individual liberty and his robust stance on uh, transparent government uh, free market education as well well as police reforms and much more. Uh, now, um, I know him personally, so full disclosure to the Black Talk Radio uh news audience, full disclosure, I met Mike. Um I was arrested protesting. Some of you probably heard some of those podcasts I did about it, but I was arrested, not really protesting. I was there as a member of the press covering a protest, which was uh about eight or nine um people will classify as African American or in this system classify as black and They were being threatened with arrest that if they didn't go with uh, 300 feet from the front door of our county seat, our county courthouse, as well as county government is seated there as well, the powers that be. That's like Headquarters Central and telling them that they had to leave a public sidewalk and go 300 feet away. And I knew that was incorrect. We had actually had a protest the year before I held a press conference and uh, challenged when a judge put that order in, and the judge backed down after he observed the peaceful protests, you know, and uh, he backed down on that. So here we are a year later, and here is um, you know the sheriff's department uh, trying to implement that that order. That also goes against county ordinance. So make a long story short, um, Mr. Ross had been out there protesting with with a group of. Uh, uh, people in his circle, and they were standing up for uh, Joshua Roar, and he was a veteran who was arrested by uh, the Gastonia City Police, and is that arrest is the subject of a federal lawsuit. But we're not going to get into the details of, of of that lawsuit here, except for as it comes up in in our conversation just about law enforcement and transparency, uh, in in general. But um, Mike stepped up. And I hope he doesn't mind if I call him Mike. But Mike uh, stepped up. Um, I had a first appearance court. And I really didn't want people to come out because a lot of people, I could have got a lot of people to show up. But I want I just wanted to um, do it quietly. Um, but I did let certain people know, you know, if they showed. I didn't really push for people to show. But two people showed up. That was Pam Morgan Stern, Stern Pam Morgan Stern, who is a uh, registered Democrat and does work with the Democratic Party here in Gaston County, and Mike Ross, who is with the Libertarian uh, Party. And those two showed up to my first appearance um, court. And so definitely he has shown me that he's serious about First Amendment uh, issues. But I just want to give that full disclosure because I know him personally. He lives in the same county. Um, that I live on live in. So before we get started uh, with our Q&A session, let me go ahead and just let everybody know, you know, I'm doing some new things with Black Talk Radio uh, News and other programs that we will produce. So like I'm an engineer for this program and I'm the host, so I don't have nobody helping me. And then, you know, just drawing from experience of past um, doing live radio shows, People will call in to disrupt the program or, you know, they drone on and on and on and it kind of messes up the flow of the program. So what we're going to try something different. The way that I could screen calls is by just allowing you to call a telephone number and leave a voicemail comment that we can play on air. So if you have any questions for um, Mr. Mike Ross tonight, who, again, is the libertarian gubernatorial candidate, North Carolina Governor if you have any questions call 1704 218 9194 that's 704-218-9194 so we're going to try-, try this and see how it works because I'm also able to read a transcript and if you you know, cussing us out or using vulgar language. Then I know I I, I shouldn't play that call on air. So you know, uh, keep it family friendly. Uh, y- y'all know we try to do um, conduct our this program as a family friendly platform. All right. So without further ado, I want to bring Mike in and just allow him to introduce himself in his own words to our audience. Mike, um, are are you there and are you hearing us okay?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Scotty, thanks for having me on the program today. Um, So my name is Mike Ross. I am a Libertarian running for governor of the state of North Carolina. But I I actually, before I get a chance to to take it to Robinson and Stein, I I have to get past a Libertarian in March. So for the first time in, I think, about 20 years, the Libertarian Party of North Carolina actually has a primary. uh, And it is open to unaffiliated voters. So, uh, you know, if you're unaffiliated, which is the majority of North Carolinians, Uh, You can vote in whatever primary you want, um, you know, and if you're uninspired by Robinson and Stein, I hope you would uh, come help me win in the libertarian uh, primary so that I can bring a voice fighting for the liberty of regular people um, before the, you know, before the general public in 2024, uh, and hopefully shake some waves and and make some change in areas that I think are important, like government transparency, uh, police and criminal justice reform, education, health care, and quite frankly, the economy, because a lot of North Carolinians uh, of all backgrounds are, are really suffering under the, you know, the, the current kind of bipartisan regime of the last 20 years where uh, everything keeps getting more expensive, uh, yet the quality of everything keeps seem to going down and uh, life's getting harder, but they keep taking more and more. So that's a, that's kind of where I'm running at, you know, You mentioned it. I'm more of an activist, not a politician. Um, But you know, some some libertarians that I respected really asked me, uh, and they said, "Mike, we need an activist to run and represent the party." And I said, "Okay, I'll do it uh, if you let me put forward a platform that I think will resonate with North Carolinians." And here I am today, Scotty, on your program.
0: Now, before we get into the specifics of your campaign, uh, a little bit about the North Carolina Libertarian Party, some news that I, I think is worth mentioning, and I think, you know, my abolitionist listeners out there that carry over from New Abolitionist Radio, and actually, that might be coming back as a program, but um, don't quote me on that. But anyway, anyway, my, y'all might be interested to know that uh and I'm gonna let Mike spill the news, but you, you you got the Libertarian Party to co-sign on to a resolution that calls for a end of slavery and involuntary servitude here in the North Carolina Constitution. Now now for you know uh those that don't know um the north carolina constitution actually does abolish slavery it, it says slavery will be abolished period in the sentence then in the new section, it says involuntary servitude as punishment for crime. So like in other states, here we have people playing with semantics and, and using words that mean the same thing in the context of what we're talking about. So what is slavery if it cannot be described as involuntary servitude? So I feel like the authors of that section of the North Carolina Constitution was intentionally, like, like many others in all the other states, uh, intentionally allowing a loophole—a loophole for slavery—to um, uh, continue in the state of North Carolina through its criminal justice system and, and being practiced in the prisons in North Carolina, be they private or public. Um, Mike, uh, what moved you to tell, um, speak to your Libertarian uh, Party members? About that resolution and about that issue here in North Carolina.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so it, it came about when you were share you shared with me. I think I saw Facebook where I think Democrats in North Carolina. I think it was House Bill eight twenty two, if my memory serves me, uh, that sought to just uh, fix our constitution, fix our state constitution, and pull out you know a slavery loophole that basically allows uh, pr- you know prisons to uh, force slavery upon the people in their custody. I mean that that's what it is, you know, and and. Um, so I brought before that in our policy people, right? We've got some, t- some team within the party of the, the people who really get into the legislature and, and kind of the process of, of all that. And they said that that one, uh, some procedural issue is kind of a hurdle. So I thought, well, how can we make kind of a, a bigger statement? So I'm, I'm actually on the platform committee of the libertarian party of North Carolina. And I can tell every libertarian I've ever met is a hundred percent against slavery, but we actually wanted to take a big step, um, as a third party and say, Hey, you know, we've got the two, uh, two halves of the party kind of debating all of these issues, and when, when we kind of agree with one of them, we like to put our hat in the ring. So, after talking to all the libertarians, um, you know, we're, we're going to look and see if there's possibly a place to get into our platform before our body in our 2024 convention. Uh, and in the meantime, if we can get the legislature either side, House or uh you know either side of the the legislature as well as either group right republicans or democrats to move something forward uh we will call out um you know call out our support the same way we do for any legislation that we support uh having across the state uh, all the libertarians call their representatives say support this bill and you know we've done that with in the past with some legislation that republicans have moved some legislation that democrats move if if we like the legislation and it's libertarian in principle we're going to rally behind it um, but that's one that I think has um, been pretty, pretty unanimous. Every libertarian within the party, uh, you know, the chair, all of the executive committee and every just member that I've talked to, uh, the idea of that, that slavery is backdoor still in our constitution is, is pretty abhorrent. And, you know, we're, we're all on board for trying to do anything we can as a small third party uh, to push us in the, that direction. Uh, hopefully, you know, the Republicans and Democrats can get that one done since they have the power right now and can do it like that. Uh, but for some reason, here we are, uh, you know still in 2023, dealing with slavery in North Carolina. All
0: right. Please, please be sure to keep me updated on those things you mentioned um, within the party framework, uh, like getting that uh, introduced at your your 2024 convention. Uh, all right, Mike. So uh, let's jump into your campaign. Uh, first, can you tell us about your journey or background in finance? I, I know you're a small business owner in the finance area. And and so can you tell us about your journey and your background in finance and becoming, um, you know, a gubernatorial candidate with a focus on uh, individual liberty, which is a central theme of the Libertarian Party? Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. So I I got started in finance when I was a 20 year old kid. I'm 40 now, Uh, actually uh, 41 later this week. Um, So I I got my start there and kind of worked my way up the corporate gig. Uh, And I I realized there were some things I like about the financial industry and some things I didn't like about it. So about six years ago, I left kind of the corporate world, started my own firm uh, called My Money Coach. And what I realized is that the industry, by and large as a whole, works really well for rich people. Uh, And I kind of hit this point in my career where I had a minimum client size of $10 million working for Vanguard, and, uh, and, and I joked, I said, all I do is help the rich get richer. Uh, and, and the problem is the way the industry was structured, it's really incentivized that, you know, that's how you make money, right, is helping people who have money. Um, so my, my wife jokes that it was my midlife crisis, but I said, you know, I'm going to do something different. I got, you know, a couple of rich clients to pay the bills, but uh, I'll work with anybody, people who have like no money and they can afford to, to invest $25 a week, something like that, because that's what I'm passionate about. Because if you really want to, to elevate people out of poverty, you have to teach them uh, steps that are easy to understand and empower them to do that. And a lot of times there, there's so many barriers uh, to getting out of that. I said, how can I, as a small business owner, focus on that? Um, so I have some friends that are pastors, you know, you, some of my activism that you know about. Like, I, I, I've got pastors and within the churches, there's a lot of times that bad investments go around in church groups. It happens in uh, white churches, black churches, like, you know, the Iraqi dinar and all of these things that kind of come around as get rich quick schemes. Um, and most of the time parishioners are, get, are getting burned so uh, you know a couple of pastors have kind of flown in uh, you know flown me into introduced me to their group and i've gotten a lot of people who you know again they're starting small 10 20 bucks a week whatever they can but they're investing and 20 years down the line by participating i'm hoping to make a real impact in their lives and that's what makes me you know happy about the fact that at the end of the day i, I manage money right and help people for, plan for things uh, but being able to kind of um, you know help people who otherwise wouldn't be helped is, is kind of been my passion um that's kind of where I saw you know my my political activation I guess you could say because um, I was fine just being a, a homeschool dad a small business owner and 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 just living my life uh, and then I started seeing this this trend of my local county and and town governments um, really abusing citizens left and right ignoring the first amendment uh, ignoring the fourth amendment and just really, Kind of getting uh, ridiculous between the the Joshua Rohr case and I know, um, you know, we the Whipscomb the case. There's so many cases in Gaston County, uh, in Gastonia, that just demonstrate that there's, there's a real disdain for some basic civil liberties that we are supposed to have protected by the Constitution of the United States that our local government was trampling over. Um, so, you know, we had a bunch of rallies. Yeah, as, well about that as well as the uh,
0: North one. Carolina Constitution, I might add, and if you'll allow me to interject, sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, go. you look at the North Carolina Constitution, I'm not going to pull it up right now, but I always challenge people to do their own research. But its language on First Amendment speech rights, that civil liberty, is actually stronger than the federal uh, U.S. Constitution. And it also mentions uh, that any law, whether passed by the legislature or, or ordinance passed somewhere, that infringes upon you know the first amendment uh, uh collective rights freedom of the press freedom of, of, of citizens to you know speak out that any law is null and void on arrival that i mean the north carolina constitution i'm paraphrasing but it really goes that far yeah as it as it should right i mean at the at the end of the day if if if, if
1: we're not free to speak then we're not free Free, free speech and you know, is really the, the root for how we fought for everything, through the civil rights movement. Through If we didn't have free speech, none of the ad- advancements that we've had as a society that benefit regular people um, would have been possible, because those in power would snuff them out if they had the ability to just shut us up um, legally. The, the problem is as technology grows um, you kind of have this quasi relationship where the social media companies are working with the government to do that when you know you have a, a cop, you know a police shooting or something like that they will go out of their way to try to prevent that from spreading um, so, so it's it's really a, a dangerous slippery slope sometimes sometimes there's good news right with your arrest they drop the charges uh, you never should have been charged or put in cuffs in the first place um, but you know sometimes they do that but other times um, you know how, how long does it take to get body cam footage in, in the state of North Carolina?
0: And how much does it cost? it cost? You should add yeah. that because you have firsthand knowledge of that whole process with Joshua yeah. Wars case. So please speak on those details. Yeah, I mean, uh, when it comes when it comes to that, the way the way
1: I see it is is within the first amendment, there's, there's a lot of things here. And, you know, some people may get, may get on me with this, but the legislation is in in North Carolina surrounding body cam footage. I, I personally think that it is every North Carolinians response, personal responsibility to record every interaction they have with law enforcement uh, for multiple reasons. One, uh, if there is anything that goes wrong and an officer in the state of North Carolina uh, violates your rights in any way, right. And, and sometimes it's blatant. Sometimes, uh, you know, I've had women over by a, a, a state trooper and they propositioned me. Right? It's just simple as that. If you are abused by your government and your government is holding evidence that you paid for, it should be as simple as saying, hey, uh, I appear on this footage. Can I have it? And our legislature, the way they aligned our body cam laws in this state is completely backwards. The default is no, you can't have it. And you have to petition and and force a judge to say, yes, it should be completely backwards. If, if if the police think that they have a reason why this body cam footage should not be put out there, maybe, it's, maybe it contains somebody who's, you know, an, an active murderer that they're searching for, or whatever it may be, they should have to take those relevant facts before a judge and present why it is essential to block it. I would still rather say just release it. But the default should be if someone on body cam footage asks for it, they're on it, give it to them and make it cheap and easy. Cause it took it, you know, it, it cost Joshua almost $30,000 to get that footage released. What regular person who can be the, you know,
0: subject of just, you taxpayers' property. And you know, he, he yeah, was a we resident paid for it. of the, other city at the time. Yeah.
1: It, I, it's I mean, just, I think you know, from a, a
0: press perspective with me being the president of Black Talk Media Project. My stance on it is that any citizen should be able to put in a FOIA uh, request and pay a reasonable fee um, to get that footage or any other document. They shouldn't have to go before a judge. Again, we're talking about public property. At the end of the day, that is what a police recording, police recorded on their body cam, whatever, whether it's in the courthouse on their, you know, security system. That's all a matter of public. It's financed by the public. It should always be accessible to any member of the public. Well, and, and look at the other the other issues
1: that we have in, in Gaston County with the First Amendment, where, you know, not only with Joshua's situation and the, the situation with what happened to you, but as of July 1st, our county courthouse, you can't bring a cell phone. Right into the courthouse which which you know forget the, the the basic constitutional issue where that's supposed to be a house of Justice where we can go and witness the way our government uh, officials are, are treating the public where you know if they're saying that your neighbor did something wrong and you want to go there and witness well what evidence do they have that my neighbor did something wrong did my you know the fact that they won't even let you go in there to record things I, I have some issues there but it's gotten so bad you well. can't even bring your phone in what if you you know I, I was in a courtroom. What if I want to know what time it is, or if I have a business call to make? Like, there, there's there's ways you can, uh, you know, you know. To me, I, I don't even think they should be trying it. I think that the entire idea of of keeping recording away from government officials is 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 fundamentally abhorrent to the First Amendment, right? I mean, there, there's been right. enough case law that filming officers has been deemed protected freedom of the press by an ind- by independent journalists. Now, it, that,
0: that's, go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. No, but there's just there's case
1: law on that on that, and right. and I think that until the time exists that we are protected to obtain that public property, if it contains evidence of us being wronged by our government, I think the only responsible thing to do is to m- record every interaction because you're not going to get your hands on that body cam footage. Who knows if they're going to edit it, mute it, or anything else? So make sure to have a copy. You know, if if it was as transparent as uh, as I would like to see it. I'd like to tell my fellow North Carolinians that you wouldn't have to do that, but until that time, uh, you know, know when to keep your mouth be, qu- be quiet, know when to ask for lawyers and not incriminate yourself and turn on that camera, so anything that's done um, can be used to protect you because they're not going to turn it over willingly, uh, but if I'm elected, I'll make sure that that happens on day one. Uh, and if the legislature gives me a hard time, I will, you know, I'll work individually and just start releasing the footage if I have to as governor and be a real, real thorn in their side, but we got to fix it. It's just, it's so against the people. Um, and all it does is protect those in power. And I think anything that structurally, uh, harms the people and protects those in power, um, we don't need to reform it. We need to dismantle it.
0: All right. So let's move on. You've often, uh, stated, and I saw I posted on your website, No, actually, I saw it on on Facebook, you know, like a motto of yours or a quote from you. But it said that government causes more problems than it solves. How does this belief shape your policy proposals, particularly those about transparent government, which you were just speaking on with the First Amendment and the role of the governor? Yeah, yeah. So so
1: the reason I say government uh, causes more problems than it solves is... uh, a lot of times I think the heart uh, and the intention of the politicians is in the right place, right? Where you see something is wrong and you you choose to do something. Uh, The problem is that every time you choose to do something or implement something, it's going to live on and evolve and change because that's at the federal level, at the state level, any kind of programs that we come in. And often what starts out with good intentions um, ends up just creating more problems. Uh, And in, in many cases, it's quite frankly, uh, not the rich people who are burdened by all of these things that come in. Um, so, what I want to look at is, you know, most most governors are talking about all these things they want the government to do. Hey, we're going to start doing this. We're... I really want to look at what is the government currently doing now at the state level that is making things more difficult for North Carolinians um, to, you know, exhibit their liberty and and suffer or, or live through prosperity, right? At the end of the day, when you look at a lot of the things that regular people care about, right, there's certain things. Um, you know, if you live in a, a an area with high crime, maybe you worry about crime, right? Like, you know, hey, am I going to get mugged? Wh- whatever it may be. If you live um, in various areas, the government tries to step in and, and solve all of these problems. Um, but the way they try to solve it is never, uh, never really economically sound. Uh, a lot of times they throw money at it. In, in most cases, in a very unaccountable and, and very um, – people get mad with the harsh words, but I'm just going to say it because I think it's the truth, Scotty. Give I mean, it to us they straight, do it in corrupt
0: right. ways. Give it to us straight.
1: We yeah, straight I mean, talk on this network. It, it's corrupt, right? Like You, you look at Gastonia, where, where Gastonia's got this big issue going on now with the fuse, fuse District, where they're putting millions of dollars into these pet projects of the politicians – well, things like roads in basic neighborhoods, they're like, oh, hey, we need a $75 million bond, so put all, put all our residents in debt to do the roads, but we're working in this development that helps out, you know, the land developers and all of these special interest groups that, you know, darn well are kicking back money to all the politicians, and that happens at the state level all the way down. So I think one of the things that we need the government to stop doing is picking favorites in the economy, because ultimately regular people are suffering like even even people who are you know not making enough where the income tax right where you you know right now uh, some people joke where you know uh, some people say hey you know half the population is not paying income taxes and they're like how do we get everybody to pay income taxes i'm like hey we're halfway there how do we get people to not have their income taxed because a tax historically <laughs> has always been something that you use to right. disincentivize something right when when New York is like, hey, we people are drinking too many sodas and getting fat. Well, we're gonna tax the sodas. So, so you gotta get little sodas or we're gonna tax you if you buy a bigger. Why the heck are we taxing? We should want Americans and North Carolinians to go out there, be entrepreneurs, to work, to build wealth, uh, to pass that on through their generations and and build up this country. And instead the government's like, hey, we want money so bad for our pet project, we're just gonna take something off the top. Mm. So but even those who, who are not part of the income tax. Things that flow through the gas tax. Right. I, every I was layer just about every, to you know. say,
0: Mike, I was just about to yeah. interject and say even a homeless person pays taxes. Yes. When they, yes. you know, collect some change on on, on a corner or however they uh, get some charity from the people, and they walk into McDonald's to order from the dollar menu, well, it's not much for a dollar on there anymore, but they they order something from the dollar menu, there's a tax on that that purchase of food. To um, So everybody is, is taxed, and real quick, you know, you mentioned Mark Robinson as one of your— Um, opponents in this race, Mark Robinson representing the Republican Party, the GOP, and who is North Carolina's current lieutenant governor. But he has sent out a tweet where, you know, he's usually just regurgitating partisan talking points that I've heard before, you know, Um, but he mentioned, um, tried to take a dig at, at President Biden about inflation, but talked about it in a way that then translated into but North Carolina Republicans is putting more money into people's pockets and, and causing prosperity and I tweeted back at him and I was like you know what I was like and I think he mentioned something about tax relief and I was like you know what I live in a, a Republican uh, GOP control county every single county commissioner is a Republican and they just went up seven hundred dollars on our property taxes um, another person at my mom's church said they went up on a thousand on on hers and then another friend uh, who lives in Cramerton they just went up two thousand on her so I'm like you know y'all they just went up on our taxes and the minimum wage is still seven twenty five. So where's all this relief you bring in the working class people, Mark Robinson? So I, I talk. Oh, it's, what it's what lies, are your thoughts man. on that, Mike?
1: I mean, it's it's, it's lies, Scotty. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you hit the nail on the head, right? Um, you know, because as a libertarian, people don't really know what box to put me in. You know, they're like, oh, you're a conservative. Oh, you're a progressive. Uh, I'm a libertarian. At the end of the day, I'm a libertarian, and sometimes my views align with you know, with people who label themselves that way. But at the end of the day, Republicans claim to care about lowering taxes on working class people, and but, but you hit the nail on the head. Every single person who owns property in Gaston County got somewhere between a 30 to 50% increase in, do- in real dollars year over year. Look what they paid last year and what they're going to have to pay this year. It went up 30 to 50 percent, whether you're in a million dollar house in one of these nice golf course neighborhoods or whether you're in an old mill house that a few years ago you could get under one hundred thousand. They're going for like two, two hundred and fifty thousand in some of these cases. And and to people like my mother. Right. I Like mm-hmm. my mother's on Social Security. She's in right. her 70s. If it was not for Social Security, um I would basically just have to make sure that I'd be taking care of my mom. She took care of me. That's what I would do. But I know that there are you know, thousands uh, of North Carolinians that are in that situation that maybe don't have a son or a daughter that's willing and able to help them out. And that property tax increase, uh, mm-hmm. and Gaston County doesn't want to talk about it, but a lot of cities are dealing with problems like homelessness. That is going to create people losing their homes. Just that right. tax increase Someone in Gaston County is going to experience homelessness simply because these low-tax, save-you-on-your-tax Republicans are lying. Uh, now, I, I I think the Democrats, it's not like they would have given tax cuts either. But I think we need to look at things like that and really look at these taxes that are smothering working-class people. I would like to get rid of every single one that we could, mm-hmm. find ways to do it, whether it's through use taxes, um, uh, ending the corporate loopholes, that's one of my big, big issues and one of the places I have a lot of alignment with a lot of progressives on, uh, which they, they, they kind of have some, you know, they, they say, hey, you're, you're all for lowering taxes. Um, my problem is the structure of it, right? The way we're doing things is, yeah, we may be taxing some of these corporations, but look at this sweetheart deal Vinfast got, right? It's a, it's a Vietnamese electric car manufacturing company. And look at the actual impact, because both the Republicans and Democrats of the state are bragging about this. Like, it's some kind of good deal for you, me, and all other North Carolinas. And it's total nonsense, Scotty. We gave them billions of dollars in corporate welfare. We're building roads specifically for them that we're going into and taking North Carolinians' property, right? Someone who, they may have had that land in their family for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And if they want to put a road there to connect to this factory that we're giving billions of dollars of your money to mm-hmm. just to bring them to the state, I'm sorry, that's unAmerican. I think that you know we doing getting rid of things, and you know I know we'll talk about it in, in, in other ones, but like ending immunity of all types. Like that's one of the things we we need to stop giving these big corporations uh, immunity, right? Because yeah, maybe they're paying some taxes, but if they have a an, an environmental spill. They're they're limited, you know. In, in in some of these cases, where the government's providing liability protection to big corporations, and if there's some kind of economic politics, for the cleanup, right? Who pays for that?
0: Well, ultimately, we
1: are. If if they if they don't do that, and I in think so that many that's ways, where yeah. we we have to flip it. You, you got to go after them, you know. And and that's where, even though I'm a libertarian, believe in low taxes, I think you got to do it pragmatically and say, you know, the the taxes that are impacting the poor, right? Like. I'm middle-class. I'm not rich, but I'm middle-class. So, you know, if, if, if there's a, a tax on milk, it doesn't impact me. But I think of that single mother who has three kids, when the price of milk goes from 3 to $5 a gallon, because of all of the the, the tax is not even counting inflation, which is the most regressive and hidden tax of them all. Because that one's, you know... Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's only so much I can do. I can't end the Fed um, as governor of North Carolina, right. but I, I can certainly push for an audit. And if they audit it, they'll have to end it, because it's... a. Uh, at least that's my opinion but mm-hmm.
0: but uh, <laughs> I, I i want i want to uh circle back to something though yeah. when you just mentioned the poor people like you mentioned your mom on social security so like my mom um, retired within the past, what, five, ten years? I'm not sure exactly. But I know a lot of other people in the community that I live in on old Highway 27, which is a historically black community. And you talk about land being in possibly somebody's family and homes 100 years. I, I would say it would even go back possibly 125 years with some of the families that live up in that in that area uh it's an unincorporated area of of Gaston County but take a person like my mom who is um uh, who has inherited land from her father and who's going to will it to her children and but she's on a fixed income right still got a mortgage payment um, and has to pay property taxes and not to mention we're in an unincorporated area and we really don't even use any, any services, you know, in turn that the government provides. And so, you know, $700 is a lot to someone on a fixed income. And what this leads to now, she did not have, like you said, your mom didn't have you as a son, but if my mom didn't have me, my brother, my sister, My children, some of their children, you know what I'm saying? And if we wasn't chipping in to help pay the property taxes, um, uh, someone who doesn't have family like that will lose that land. It'll be taken by the state. I mean, excuse me, by the county. And, you know, this is an issue that's nationwide, as I have a friend who is into um, who has campaigned in Baltimore but when you look at what we typically call uh what is it um not urban urbanization but uh what 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 do they call it when they're moving all out you know oh gentrification gentrification yeah. right well a lot of the gentrification is the way he explained it was tax foreclosure Sim- people just simply no longer able to pay the taxes and they go into foreclosure and, and that's a, and then so that's like a tremendous transfer of wealth from the people to the government. I mean, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean,
1: well, that that's been an issue with big cities for a long time, and I think that you know, but it's you know, happening was- in rural areas like where I live as well, though. Yeah, it's 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 been a big issue in big cities and it's it's branching out right like because this big city has got away with it for so long the rural areas are like hey we, we we'll try this too and it, it's really worse than that right because in some cases it's going back to the you know the government themselves who's you know you, you don't pay the tax bill but in a lot of cases and this is why one of the big issues um and you know if, if any big money comes to attack me this I'll tell you right now who it's going to come from in the, in this uh, in this state it's gonna to come from the developers right these these large, Um, you know property developers that are you know operating across the country they have no vested interest in any of these communities but they'll look at it and say hey you know what there's a there's 500 delinquent properties in Gaston County we're just going to pay them all because if they pay your property taxes for three years and you don't pay them back with interest Mm -hmm. they can take your property a private developer Right. So they're able to do this in mass. And they're like, hey, I just just pick a place on a map. We got billions of dollars that we got through the Fed printing money and taking advantage of all these things that, uh, you know, are basically corporate welfare for real estate investment trusts. Um, But they buy up large blocks of land when it's available, and if not, they buy it through tax liens. They get these tax liens, they acquire the property, and then without caring about the neighborhood, without caring about the impact, they're like, we're going to rent this out for as much as we can. And that's happened to large parts of Gaston County, right, where neighborhoods that were affordable to people five years ago, you have this this Mm -hmm. corporate money that's coming in with these big um, corporate special interests, buying mm-hmm. up the land, buying up houses through harassing phone calls or whatever else they do. Driving
0: and then up, get driving up uh, the taxes with their inflated property values because these houses, some of these houses, don't even sit on a quarter of an acre. I mean, it's like a, a yep. little plot. And then you then stack these houses on, <laughs> close together and you list them for like 300000 500000 and then I'm looking at the cheap materials that you're using because I used to work construction. I look; these aren't even brick houses. Well, the, the the thing that protects that scheme is the government. The only reason that actually works,
1: the only reason that that they're able to pull this off, is because we we can get in the way, right? Where where when you have the economic pressures, right? Where you have corporate money flowing in, buying all the houses in an area, right? And then they're like, hey, we're going to set market price for rent. We're going to we're going to drive mm-hmm. up the rent prices and, and collect it in. Um, so as they're doing that, there's a real simple solution. But a lot of people don't like it, and the government certainly doesn't. And that comes with loosening zoning, right? Why are prices going up? It's because we have a supply problem. These big corporate owners are buying up all the property, setting the prices way up high, and they're okay if nobody comes and rent it because they own a 1,000 of them. So if two of them are sitting vacant it's a rounding error on their balance sheet but that's two houses that someone might need mm. where if they allow us to build housing and you know take take you for example right and this is something that i look at and i think you know there's a lot of situations where you may have like a matriarch or a patriarch of the family who has their land has their property maybe it's paid for so they're just dealing with that um but they want to supplement their income a little bit right where social security is maybe not enough um the ability to like put a tiny house on your property or something small there you you if we were allowed to do that, right? Just hey, I'm going to build another one now. You know, I can rent this to my to my nephew. I can rent this to my friend. Now that's helping me, mm-hmm. but the, and it's also helping the housing crisis, right? If if all of a sudden a mm-hmm. thousand people in Gaston County did that mm-hmm. and built a tiny house on their property,
0: yeah. what
1: happens to well, rent? What well, happens to everything?
0: Well, one of my cousins actually did that. That lives next door because it's like up in that area. We're mostly all related. This historic yeah. black community. And I mentioned that it's unincorporated. Yeah, right? so they
1: don't get you too bad on zoning.
0: So, exactly. And he put a tiny home um, right in front of the uh, property that was once his grandfather's, who's passed the loan, passed on, and passed it down. And so my other cousin is actually rehabbing that house. And the county did condemn the house that was sitting there, but he's he's been rehabbing it. But my other cousin... Um, also plopped a tiny home down. Ain't nobody bothered him because we live in an unincorporated area, and I would like to actually keep it that way. Well, yeah, but I the, the way I see it is I, I think it's great that your family
1: has freedom and liberty. Why doesn't everybody? Right? You know, yeah. if you lived a half a mile down the road and you had the exact same family dynamics and the exact same financial situation, what right does the government say to to, to do this? I personally think, well, if you look at the economics of it, um, it, it sure helps their developer friends that everybody can't solve that problem and that, you know, churches can't be like, hey, I've got, you know, a big pool of money and some excess land. I'm going to build 10 of these townhouses and try to, ta-. like, none mm-hmm. of us can do any of that because the government wrote all of these the, these restrictive Holy zoning Lord. ordinances. And that mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that I look at it. I, I want to look through what are we doing in North Carolina that when you follow the money and, and where where this happens, it's ultimately something that is harming the general public to the benefit of some group of special
0: interests. OK, and, Mike. so we're yeah. over the halfway mark and I Sorry. actually missed a break, um, but I'm going to go ahead and take it now and just let people know that you are listening to Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed, which is part of Black Talk Radio Network com is where you can find us online if you would like to support this show you can do so by giving to my favorite charity and full disclosure I am the founder and president of the Black Talk Media Project you can go to dot com. you'll you'll see a donate tab in in the menu and just click on that and uh you can make a donation to the uh, North Carolina nonprofit Black Talk Media Project all right. So again, we are talking with Mr. Mike Ross, who is running for governor. But as he stated, he's actually in the primary. Um, North Carolina does have an open primary to to where you can just, when you go to vote on on that day, you during primaries, you just tell them which ballot you want. You can't vote in all three. Or four, or however many it's going to be. Usually, it's just been three here in Gaston County: Democrats, Republicans, and Libertarian Party. So a lot of people may not know that um, you can. It doesn't matter how you're registered; you don't have to register as a Libertarian to vote in their primary or any of the other uh, parties. You can just tell the lady or the or the gentleman um, when they ask you which primary. You want to vote in? I think that's great about North Carolina that it gives us that choice. As if a, you're unaffiliated, as, as if you're unaff-
1: if you're a registered Republican, oh, I'm registered sorry, Democrat, you're you right. Can't. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Semi-open,
0: right? If you're unaffiliated, thank you for correcting me, Mike. Yeah. Thank you for correcting me. All right, again, if you have any questions before we come to the end of the broadcast for uh, Mr. Um, Candidate Mike Ross, uh, running for North Carolina governor, you can um, leave it in the voicemail bag at one 218 9194 That's 704-218-9194. Now, uh, we're going to move on. Let, let's t- uh, touch on education. Um, I've never really heard this term before, but let's discuss your vision for free market education because some some critics I'm sure will argue uh that completely removing state influence could lead to disparities in education quality um might even you know be programming children with misinformation, which I think a lot of them are already um but that's neither here nor there um but how do you? How do you plan to ensure every child gets an equal and quality education in a free market model, which I've, I've never really heard anyone describe?
1: Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely, and I, I and I I, I kind of have to agree with you. I, I think that that's one of the problems with the with the public school system now is is we're not getting uh, always factual information, but certainly not g- good outcomes, right? Uh, when I look at the system, we spend about eleven billion dollars of North Carolinians tax dollars on education. Eleven billion dollars, it's almost a third of our, our our budget is going into this one big big piece, education, right? Uh, and the whole system is is really if you if you haven't dug into our education policy, where we have the education lotto, right? The lotto helps education. It's BS. Here's how it works. The General Assembly will set a budget, right? Ten billion dollars uh, that we're gonna spend on education. If the lotto brings in a billion, if, the, if it was truly an education lotto, we'd have $11 billion for education, the 10 that they allocated plus this billion that the lotto comes in. But the way it works is a clawback system. So if the education lotto pulls in a billion, they drop the baseline budget to $9 billion. So you still only have that initial pool. So even if you pulled in $10 billion just from the lotto, all that would do is free up the original $10 billion for the politicians in Raleigh to spend on whatever the heck they want. So the education lotto is not really benefiting us. So I say rather than have these systems that are upheld um, state down, look at it this way. How many students do we have? Our constitution of the state requires that we provide for education. So take that number, divide it by the number of students. And I'll just tell you this, right? You live here in Gaston County. The number comes out to about $10,000 per student that we spend on education in North Carolina. There's a lot of good private schools around here that you could send your kid to for less than $10,000 a year. I know because before I homeschooled, I sent my kid to one, even though I was still paying for for that. So so the the problem is that you look at the rich. Guess what? The rich can already send their kids to whatever school they want to. They can homeschool them. They can send them to the most expensive college prep school. But you go to a low-income neighborhood where the public school is, in many cases, not very good. And they're not getting good outcomes and not preparing people to leave. And become. And, and some
0: would say they're not actually getting it for 10000 per child because one of the problems I've heard over the years from the educators is a lack of funding. So where is the money going, actually? Well, this
1: my plan would fix it. And, you know, the Republicans are pushing this whole, you know, school choice thing. And I, I do think that it could be a step in the right direction. But I think it has so many slippery slopes that it could just lead to a government takeover of all non public education currently where now they're telling the homeschools and the and the the religious schools and and now they're telling them what to do so i think it should be as simple as scotty you got two kids great you got a ten thousand dollar pool for each of them find the best education option for you if it's the public school great you go there that ten thousand dollars goes to your local public school if it's a private school that you can send your kids to great the money goes there if it's a, a teacher who lives in your neighborhood? Who's like, hey, I think this whole system is, is is bad. I want to start a micro school and teach my kids in my community. And they say, hey, I've got fifteen kids. Well, at ten thousand, now you've got a teacher who's got one hundred and fifty thousand dollars baseline to run that micro school. And you mean to tell me that someone who lives in the neighborhood, who like a, existing educators with years of experience. They don't have that option in this system. A teacher can't go out and be an entrepreneur and and make a good living for themselves. If you force um, them to compete mm -hmm. with the free market, those types of things will pop up where you have a good educator who says, you know what, I want to go invest. Because there's people who, who will look at things and say, you know what, this community is underserved. I'm going to go make an investment of my time, talent, and energy. And if you can align the financial incentives in a way that can provide for an equitable outcome there, I truly think that North Carolinians will ultimately solve that way better than the government's public school system can, Um, which is why I don't want to abolish the public school system. I just want them to have to compete, where if you as a parent say, hey, you're spending $10,000 a year on my kid, and you're supposedly – and there's a much better education – an option that I could get done for 10000 you let me allocate that money instead of you in Raleigh or instead of you on the Gaston County School Board. And if you want to have your, your, your kid learning, you know, having a real religious traditional education, they can. If you want to have a really progressive, um, you know, educate your kids kind of the way they would, but give the parents the power,
0: not okay, one, some bureaucrat. One quick follow-up question, because um, we do need to try to move it along. I'm not Sorry. trying to keep you on here all night. <laughs> But, um, is there currently, like you mentioned, you're a homeschooler and I've often talked to my daughter about homeschooling, you know, my grandchildren or my daughters about homeschooling grandchildren and there are, you know, actual networks, um, that I'm aware of that I've, you know, actually met these people through Black Talk Radio and interviewing them about, you know, their education solutions and the things they were doing through their homeschooling network. But in North Carolina, for example, I didn't hear you mention this, but if uh, uh, if I'm homeschooling, shouldn't I get a $10,000, up to $10,000 tax exemption? You know? Yes, if, if I'm, I, yes.
1: I mean, with, with my plan, here's the way I envision it, because as a homeschooler, Right? I, I have some core subjects, Right, math, science, English, history, Like we, we cover those because it's there. Uh, my, my son's interested in technology, so he takes a coding class once a week. I pay for that out of pocket. But that's an educational type of thing. If you want to send your kid to, you know, maybe your kid's into construction and welding, and you've got a teenager who you want to go send to, like, a, a private like class to learn how to do woodwork... Why is anybody other than the parent choosing how those dollars that are supposedly being spent for their child, right? Mm -hmm. Educate your kids and get rid of this one size fits all model. That's my big problem with these systems is not every kid learns the same. Having a system that will allow educators to work with your children and, and, and really who I think benefits the most from my plan is teachers, right? Because right now the teacher's, The teachers don't get paid anywhere near enough, and there's people in the district that are making three or four times what the teachers are making, and they don't provide any value to the education of the children. And if you force the public school system to compete there, I think a lot of those things are going to go away, and they're going to have to raise teacher pay because teachers are going to realize, hey, I could just take 10 students, Hmm. (laughs) have a class size of 10, run it out of my house, make more money than the public school's. Yeah, uh, run it less?
0: online I mean covid during covid everything was online based so why can't they continue using those same tools they can yeah. absolutely that's how some of the um people that i know who homeschool they definitely uh have incorporated technology you'll be yeah. a fool to not to but I do need to move on I, yeah I want to talk about the topic of police reforms cause. You have a dual focus, which is on your campaign website. It talks about protecting the police and protecting the public. So how do you reconcile the need for higher police salaries with ending practices like qualified immunity and civil asset forfeiture? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I tried to solve with my platform. I, I I thought, you know, at the end of the day, I'm,
1: I'm running for the independent North Carolinians, right? Libertarian Party. We're, we're a smaller party, but there's a lot of unaffiliated, unaffiliated in North
0: Carolina. Yeah, the,
1: the unaffiliated is like I, I'm. I'm running through this, and you've kind of have these polarizing things where you've got the, you know, all cops are bad, right? Where people are like, I don't, I don't care what it is, all cops are bad, and then you've got the the back to blue where they, these people are like, hey, we support law enforcement no matter what. And it's like, yeah, but they just murdered some guy in cold blood on video. Ah, back to blue. but like, I don't think most people fall into necessarily one of those extremes. Uh, but I think that there's some points that are there, right? Like, if we look at the idea of law enforcement, not the reality of law enforcement, but the idea of law enforcement, right? That that peace officer, where if there's a rapist in your community, or a murderer at large, someone who's a violent person who's willing to harm other people, uh, for you to put on a badge and a gun and put yourself in harm wide ways to protect your community, I think that idea is something that most people like the idea of. Um, and I think that paying someone forty thousand dollars a year to do that is kind of an insult right you're putting your life on the line the problem is that you're paying forty thousand dollars a year because cops have been turned into revenue generators it, not only in this state but in this country where uh, they're they're finding any little victimless activity that they can write you a citation for um, so to protect the police I, I say one thing pay them what it's worth to put yourself on the line uh, and and potentially you know die to a, a violent murderer at their but we got to protect the public also, and, and, and that starts with ending all of the enforcement of victimless activities. If you are not harming somebody in, in some way, right, you know, it's pretty clear. If, if you punch me in the face, you hurt me, right? You, you've harmed me. If I break into your house and steal your TV, I've harmed you, right? Like If there's a victim, I think that that's what society wants us to be policing. The problem is, um, you know, I, I can't say it, but I'm sure, you know, you DWB. I'm sure your listeners. That's a thing. I have black friends. DWB is a thing. Driving and in while many black
0: cases, for those Yeah, driving ones. while
1: black. Right. That that that's that's a real thing that I I've had I have enough people tell me, hey, I got pulled over for, for absolutely no
0: reason, fitting and that has well, to stop. Or in my case SWB, Standing while Black. Yeah, standing while black.
1: But I mean, asking cops to enforce victimless activities, in my opinion, is completely immoral and antithetical to the liberty that that we are supposed to represent as a free country so you you have to pay them what they're worth but start of it will be stop doing all of this bad stuff right stop finding this 18 year old kid with a, a gram of weed and throw him in the cage making us spend thousands of dollars as taxpayers to do this and, and and he didn't hurt anybody but that happens all the time in gaston county like not a honestly not a two or three days goes by that the Gastonia arrest inquiry doesn't have that exact arrest scenario happening every two or three days. Just follow it. If you do away with that, you are going to protect the cops because some people are like, well, we have to do all of these fourth amendment violations because we don't know if that guy in the car has a gun and all of these things in the eyes of officer safety. How about we help promote officer safety by minimizing the interactions with law enforcement in the public and only have them create an interaction when there is a victim uh, and then we have to protect the public because the reality is you still have someone out there with a gun and a badge. So things like qualified immunity that has to end the idea that because you have a gun and a badge, the government is going to protect you from liability of actions that you take is 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 crazy. That are clearly <laughs>
0: negligent
1: get rid of qualified immunity there get rid of uh, immunity at all levels honestly i I don't want to see immunity provided to big pharma companies or to environmental like i don't want to see immunity being an option for government um but you 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 have to end all of the other things you got to end the drug war you got to end civil asset forfeiture um you got to end all policing for profit and and the profile you have to do that to protect the public uh and and you have to change the culture right at the end of the day you if if there's a cop who's going to blow the whistle on a bad cop who's abusing citizens those are the guys that we need to be shouting as heroes, leading those forces because it's it's the one profession that I feel like you, you can't have bad apples in it, uh, otherwise you're gonna have this this con- constant problem. so I think um, mm-hmm. getting yeah. rid of their special protections and and getting their mistakes off of the taxpayer. That's a bad one. like how, you know if, if with, with what happens in Gastonia if the GPD ends up paying a big settlement over any of this, the GPD doesn't care. That's the people of Gastonia who are paying for it. Right. Why are the taxpayers? So you, you got to require the either at the officer level or the department or level, the department private liability insurance. protection, yes, yeah, so either insurance or self-insure it from your pension fund. But you got to get that off of the taxpayer in the entirety, and you have to stop the enforcement of victimless activities because the the real impact that those have. Um, spans so far beyond just the person it impacts their whole family right where they get they get caught with some small victimless activity walking through some guy's yard or, or whatever it may be no one was really harmed they get thrown in jail now their family's raising money to bail them out of jail going through this it, it spirals and the fact that they over police typically in lower income areas really just holds as an extra layer of to keep the poor down. And I, I think the best thing that we can really strive for is to bring everybody out of that. Because if you if everybody's not worried about things like, hey, how am I going to keep a roof over my head? How am I going to get food in my belly? How am I going to keep the lights, lights on and meet these basic needs? If you could actually solve that um, by empowering people, that's that's my approach, is empower people to, to climb out of that. Crime, all of these things will go down because a lot of times, not all crime, there's some crazy people who just go out and murder people for, for no reason, but a lot of crime is a result of poverty uh, poverty and, and needs not being met. So we have to bring about those, and, and that's where I think ending this whole process where the law and the legal system – perpetuates and keeps people in poverty I've seen it so much with a lot of you know the homeless activism that I do there are homeless people who have such like have huge bills with their local government like how hard, it's already so hard to get them out to get them a job or anything else you got to reform that system and it starts by getting rid of every single protection um, that helps keep bad cops in place and stop asking them to be, uh, you know, essentially work for the politicians instead of the people because if now, they work for I, the people, I, I think nobody would have
0: Like a to interject, one thing I did yeah. not see, um, and this is this is kind of play on words, but you talk about qualified immunity and and you know uh, being able to get rid of the bad apples. Well, I think you know with higher pay should come higher requirements. It shouldn't. Yeah. Anybody who just got a GED should not just be able to become a police officer because they take on a whole lot of responsibility, a whole lot of power of the state or municipality that they're representing when they put on that badge. And some of the the standards across the country are just terrible, terribly low. And, you know, um, for example, I believe it was Durham years ago they used to require at least associate's degree, you know, um, but I think the police union don't quote me on it, but it's been a while since that story happened. But they, you know, lobby to get that requirement removed. You know, I think that people should have to undergo psychological battery tests, you know, just everything that you would put a person through that let's say they were going to get a top-secret security clearance. I've been through that process in the United States military. Just a full profile of this person to make sure this is the type of person who is not going to abuse, you know, that power that's being granted to them. And then, like, when you watch a lot of the videos, like I share a lot of the videos on some of my different Facebook pages of cops, simply not knowing the law. Simply not knowing whether it's the state constitution, whether it's the federal constitution, not knowing basic stuff like the Fourth Amendment, not knowing that it's already case law that says I can record a cop in public. You know, this this has been settled law. And and yet... video after video after video hundreds of these videos every year possibly thousands of them of cops not just simply not knowing the basics of law and and what have you so so um is that something you thought about i mean i didn't read that on on your issues page um but i think that that's a big Issue with why we have so so much police brutality and violence in this country is low standards. Yeah, yeah, no, and that, and that's on on my platform in the in the protect the
1: police side. That's actually something I call for is is, is mental health treatment, right? Where where I look at the, the situation and you know, sorry if it, this, this tangent, but I think it's relevant. Where I look at the Joshua Aurora case when that happened, and I saw that officer. I try to look at things from every angle before deciding my position on something. And one of the things that came to my mind is, well, what, what happened with this officer? And, and I looked back, and a few years before that, he actually shot a guy at Buffalo Wild Wings, the same cop. And I watched that shoot, and that guy was in a mental health crisis, kind of similar to how, you know what Joshua went into when he had a, a PTSD episode. But I looked at that, and I saw, wow, watching that video, and I, if I put myself in that same shoes, I would have shot. Because what do you do? He, like he tried everything to de-escalate, but when someone points a gun, like and draws it in, and points it, self-preservation as a human being ha- kind of has to kick in if if you're going to defend yourself rather than than get shot. And I wonder, you know, that's got a weigh on a human being to have to shoot another person, regardless of the outcome. You know, well, it I don't know if you're of, not a psychopath. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, what kind of mental health treatment did they have? Right? Did he get nothing? And did he spend the next three years? kind of dwelling on this and did that impact his performance every single day that they like I I feel like if if someone has that you have to give them the best quality mental health and healthcare treatment possible because you cannot have unhinged angry people who are not mentally stable out there representing the government and having a gun and a badge and interacting with citizens it cannot happen and part of me wonders is
0: that a failure I don't know because it's private medical record stuff but it was a thought that came to mind like I mean I mean but you can go undergo again in the screening and hiring process. You know, people if they don't want to go through the stringent screening, then don't apply. It's a find another job. You, you 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 have a choice. You know, but but I think people be interested in looking at uh Bernie Sanders, the progressive uh who who campaigned for the Democratic Party, you know of uh, the last two primaries that they had um his justice for all, where he talks about providing that same type of of health care health care mental health care for these officers for the daily stresses that they have to have to go through and but but also. You know, I'm. I'm also thinking about. It is a fact that police families have occurrences of domestic violence. These cops um, committing batteries against their spouses and other family members at four. At, at a couple of years ago, was at four times the rate of the general public. So forty percent, forty percent of all, forty percent.
1: Of all officers are involved in domestic, uh, according to that survey, that's a pretty pretty large
0: percentage, you know, (laughs) of people. And then, so it it translates to me. The logic would stand that hey, if they don't mind beating on on their significant other and uh, and family members, then they certainly wouldn't mind, you know, being if they get triggered, beating up a citizen. Hundred percent. I
1: mean, yeah. If forty percent of them are willing to. To hit their own partner, what percent's willing to hit somebody they don't know? That's the scary thing when you really think about it, right? Forty percent are willing to not only hit their partner, but admit it in a survey. Mm-hmm. Like, hit 40 percent's that number. What's the percent that's willing to violate someone's right because they got their feelings hurt? Right? Where someone says something smart to a cop and then that cop just loses it. Like, if 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 I said something smart and you just beat the heck out of me, I might get justice. But if I said something smart and you were a cop and you beat the heck out of me, I'd probably have to spend $30,000 to get evidence if you beating out of me and you probably still wouldn't be held accountable. And we, we got to stop that. Like we, right. we really have to, to stop that. And I think the way to do it is if you give them a pay raise, um, you know, to, to make it more appealing to someone who to, to come in, right. And say, Hey, this is a dangerous job, but now it's, it's, it's a salary level that that's there have really good ways to hold them accountable. Right. And I think the free market insurance, can somewhat do that right where if you have one officer who has a bad situation um does something wrong gets sued well their rating goes up eventually they're going to be uninsurable and now they're out of a job right because if no insurance company is going to okay that's it sucks that it takes a couple of bad actions to root them out right but if if you do things right and you ask them you know take away all of the things that they use to go fishing right take take away all those things to go fishing and the incentive To to find just anything and and really get them back to that idea of protecting and serving, Mm -hmm. um, trying to seek justice for victims, right? Not just, uh, oh, I smell weed, so I'm going to tear up your car, right? right? Like, that has to stop statewide. Like, if if you can't name who the victim is, you don't need to be talking to that person because they're having an interaction.
0: Uh, I want to bring up a local case before we move on uh, to a different uh, topic, but this is still dealing with law enforcement, transparency, excessive force, everything we've been touching upon uh, in the past 10 minutes. But the shooting death of Jason Lipscomb has raised questions about excessive force and transparency in these types of cases involving law enforcement. And what I want to ask in your opinion, why, why, Our Gaston County elected leader so quiet about his case and other issues involving civil rights in the county and city of Gastonia. For example, I saw um, the video from a Gastonia City Council meeting where you and another gentleman whose name escapes me right now. Um, But you spoke out on possible 14th Amendment violations uh, right there on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard where black protesters were treated differently than white protesters by the sheriff's department. And I noticed that in that video, nobody ever responded. But that seems to be typical. (laughs) Even when I went to the county commissioner meetings, they typically never respond to the citizens who ask questions um, during the citizen recognition period. But my question to you is, how would you address such allegations? Well, I mean, why do you think they're quiet? Now you think it's because the city, the city may be liable for damages and they're just trying not to speak on a case because they don't want to see the city have to pay? I don't I, I don't know if I frame so, that in a way you can understand yeah, no, I, I, got, I got you. You know, I, I think I got it. I, I, think,
1: I think the, this would be a lot easier question to answer if we could see the body cam footage, <laughs> right? I mean, at, at the end of the day, this would be a lot easier question to answer if, if, we could see the body cam footage because if the body, you know, I, I don't want to speculate because you, you can get in trouble if you speculate and it eventually comes out. But mm-hmm. if the body cam footage says what some people have suggested, and honestly, what, what mm-hmm. some of the evidence, um, you know, again. No, I mean, certainly
0: me, me just standing on the street and right. those black protesters being imp- well that that one was clear but i mean i i think you know i'd love to see the,
1: the 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 body cam footage of what happened to jason and if it showed there i would be out there um rallying again if it shows what it may show um and i mm-hmm. think you know here they fought real hard to stop joshua's footage from coming out and that footage mm-hmm. showed exactly what they were claiming um it would not be surprising if the video does show what some people are claiming. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not be remotely surprised that they are doing everything in their power to try to cover it up because, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if it was th- those last two shots. Right. That's that's kind of the one that I think really is the, right, the driving home. Right. Where, they, where, those two, where the two those shell two casings.
0: casings are located about 100 yards away from where the police initially started shooting at. Uh, the fleeing vehicle uh, that he was driving. Um, But, I mean, it's certainly, now it's been, we just passed the one-year anniversary of that shooting, and yet, you know, the district attorney, Travis Page, um, as far as we know, is still, quote-unquote, investigating um, this. But while the cops and the public were getting no information, the cops have quietly been, you know, placed, uh, been cleared for duty. But yet Travis really? Page hasn't made a decision nor has uh you know there nobody seen any video tape. I mean that that that's kind of the there's there's so much
1: so much wrong with, with, with that case, but I I think that really comes down to why the body cam footage reform is so essential in this state and why I, I think, you know, again, I'm sure Travis
0: Page has access to it. I'm sure oh, yeah.
1: he's seen it. A hundred percent. Yeah, I mean I, I'm sure he's seen it, but you know, that, that's what makes me wonder, right? Like, the last case that I got involved with fighting for body cam footage on, the body cam footage showed exactly what the victim said it did. Mm-hmm. It showed exactly what the victim said it did, and the city fought damn hard to prevent it from being blocked. Um, you know, I would love to see what happened. I think it's the travesty um, that the community and, and, and Jason's family hasn't gotten to see what happened to their child. That is a travesty to me. That the government has video evidence explaining what happened to your child. As a parent, that's the kind. Like I'm a libertarian who's a very peaceful person. Uh, I believe in you know I'm, I'm against violence of all sorts. But that's the kind of thing that would really like drive me if if I, if I was trying to figure out what happened to my kid and the government had video evidence of what happened to my kid and told me you can't have this. I can't imagine what that family is going through, and I think that. It, it, we got to reform the body cam footage. Whether I win, whether I, I win governor or not, we have to, as, a, as North Carolinians, we have to reform that so that no other family has to go through what, what Joshua went through, what Jason's family is still going through, what so many other North Carolinians in every single county of this state are going through. We have to do that because mm-hmm. this is, should be easy justice. Look at the camera. Did the cops execute him? If so, get rid of people who executed him, period. No question. Don't draw it out. It should it should be swift. It should be immediate. The public sees this, and if you shoot an unarmed person who is not a threat, you need to have your badge stripped and you need to be put in jail, period. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I just think that we have to get to the bottom. That, that, that situation, the whole way it went down at that point, if I have the facts of the case straight, like, there were... There was no immediate threat to anyone At this point, I believe the kids were recovered, accounted for. Yes. They had as a, like there was no need to to, to go through this high speed chase and shoot firearms in a residential community with kids out like it mm-hmm. All of that has to stop the no knock raids. like there, there's just so much about it that we have to fix. And we have to do it in a way that protects the public.
0: All right, I just got um, a couple of more questions regarding, and we talked a little bit about taxation, but want to, you know, give you an opportunity to delve deeper into your peace through prosperity, but also, you know, environment. Um, How do you plan to protect North Carolina's natural beauty? But I want to take another station identification break. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed. I am He. Um, It is part of the Black Talk Radio Network. You can find us online at blacktalkradionetwork.com. You can also find us on just about every major podcasting platform. Um, If you want to listen to the latest podcast of Black Talk Radio Network, just say, Alexa, play the latest podcast from Black Talk Radio Network. And she should pull it up on Amazon Music. Or if you want to listen to the digital radio uh, station, whether it's a playlist or it's streaming live content like we're doing right now, then you just say, Alexa, pull up Black Talk Radio Network on TuneIn and it should pull up the live station stream or the digital radio station uh, stream Again, if you would like to uh, support some of our efforts, um, particularly you can give to my favorite charity, again, which is BlackTalkMediaProject.org, which is a North Carolina-based nonprofit media uh, company that edu- that's involved in educating the people on media technology as well as providing uh, services. So we're talking to Mike Ross um, Gaston County resident who is running for North Carolina governor, um, in this upcoming election. But right now he's in a primary fight to earn the right to represent the libertarians. Um, so again, important information. If you're an unaffiliated, uh, voter, which is, seems to be the group that he is targeting the most, you're an unaffiliated voter and not part of what he calls the Uniparty. party, um, In North Carolina, uh, you can pick and choose which primary ballot you want to vote if you're an unaffiliated registered voter. So moving on, uh, Mike, now you propose significant changes to North Carolina's taxation system. We talked a little bit about, you know, some of your thoughts on it earlier. But you have a plan called Peace Through Prosperity. How do you see this impacting the state's economy and the well-being of its residents? Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I, I want to get the government
1: out of everybody's wallet as much as humanly possible, uh, especially um, people who are, are struggling, right? Regular people who are paycheck to paycheck or, you know, kind of middle of the middle class down, right? I want to get the government out of your wallet um, as much as humanly possible and not only get out of your wallet, but get out of your way economically, Right. So it comes down to any sort of these taxes or fees or all of these things that were laid in. Right. Why do we have to pay a a registration fee for our car every year? You go buy a brand new car. What? You can't register it for five years of the life of the car. You have to have this every every single year fee. All these layers. I want to do away with as many of those as possible, especially the ones that are really providing no benefit. Right. There's some taxes and things in every municipality's budget for like the ABC commission. Right, which is the liquor store. Why the heck don't we just have liquor stores that are owned by North Carolinians like other states? Instead, we have this whole system that we, the taxpayers, have to fund jobs. I, I want to get away with all of the taxes that are that are going to things that impact people. Not not at the high level, uh, especially not right away. Right, it needs to be gradual. But what I want is I want people to be lifted out of prosperity and get all of these barriers to prosperity out of the way. Uh, one of the greatest things that a person can do. Um, which I, I remember when 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 you kind of did it with your car dealing, detailing business, right? Like starting a business and going out there and building something is not only a, a good economic decision, but it, it builds character. It builds work ethic. it It's something that's good for you. The problem is that the government puts so many barriers in the way for a regular small person to even start doing something. Um, in some cases, they have like occupational licensing for certain things, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, you know something as simple as braiding hair but braiding why do you need the government's permission to braid someone's hair you know like if if they do a good job and they come to you and they're like okay yeah your, your place is clean and you do a good job and you don't hurt my head that much like I want to pay you money and you braid like they have these occupational licensing schemes in so many ways and a section effectively what it's doing is just limiting the competition where it's like, hey, I've got a hair braiding shop. Well, what if I don't do a good job and that person down the street maybe does a better job, but they don't have the money to put in the classes to take 2,000 hours so that they could even come compete with me? Um, I, I want to get every barrier that the state of North Carolina that it puts in front of regular people and prevents them from elevating their own economic status, I want to tear those down. If it's something... Something that is limiting competition and making it harder for someone to enter in that in, into any industry, um, all that's doing is stifling competition. And I am a, a radical free market believer, right? Like I, I truly think that I, that the free market is the best way to solve these problems and get the government out of it. And really, they they should be effectively more just a referee than a key player, right? Where if a company or something is doing something shady, absolutely hold them accountable. Sadly, what the government of North Carolina is doing is basically blocking out competition to hand things to, you know, VinFast, an electric car, so many real estate developers that are these big – got to get that out of there because if we get rid of all of these things that both Republicans and Democrats support, none of them are going to end occupational licensing and make it easier for a regular person to start a business regardless of what they say. I will. And I'm the only candidate <laughs> that really, really will do that on, on, on the ballot. So uh, peace through prosperity is all about that, right? Do anything that the government is doing that is making it harder for prosperity to happen. Stop doing that. Whether it's the police reform element of getting people out of that criminal, uh, you know, that trap of the criminal justice system being an economic terrorist act upon people, because that's what it is. It's economic terrorism when they're doing it in some of these low income communities where they're they're finding any, any reason to just put you into this system, and uh, it's economic terrorism to me, and it happens across here. we got to get rid of that, and if you give people liberty um, and get rid of those barriers, I think that we can elevate things. It's really the kind of the culmination of all of my platforms. It it really is about how do we get more of the money being pushed downward so that the decision-making with dollars is being done at the individual level where possible, at the local level where that's not possible, and really trying to have less centralized power and much more power being pushed down to the people themselves or the municipalities if if it's not really practical to come all the way down to right. the individual level.
0: Last question and it's regarding the environment because we yeah. we live in what I feel like um certain parts of our county is very beautiful, you know, in in terms of of the topography. You know, the landscape, uh, especially an area on Old Highway 27, which is really some of the land has been set aside by uh, as a Rankin family preserve, um, you know, to protect wildlife or or provide for, you know, a habitat. Because with all the development you've been mentioning, even on that road, uh, Old Highway 27 in Gaston County, man, we're starting to see so much wildlife like, you know, uh, uh, losing their habitat. And we're starting to see them more like coyotes. I've been seeing coyotes. Uh, There was a bear that was asleep on somebody's lawn at a trailer park down the road. And, And so I'm not the only one that's seeing a lot of animals being displaced, it seems, by development. But regarding the environment, how do you plan to protect North Carolina's natural beauty, while allowing for free market solutions. Can you give an example of a potential inno- innovative solution that might thrive in this environment? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first first thing I will do at, the,
1: at, at the, the highest level is I'm going to do something extremely different from both Republicans and Democrats who are completely the uniparty on this issue. I am not going to protect polluters at all. I will not protect polluters, despite the fact that the Uniparty does that time and time again uh, in this state and every other state. If you are responsible for any sort of environmental disaster, you will not have a cap or a limit on how much you will have. And and honestly, I think if we're really enabling the free market, I think it's perfectly reasonable – um, that if we make an initiative at the state level and say we will punish very harshly anyone who damages the environment, uh, especially recklessly, and I would encourage every municipality as these, uh, invest, you know, investors are coming in, uh, I, I think the real solution to protecting the environment is, is going to come down to risk mitigation and insurance. So if a municipality, right, I live in Cramerton, if some factory wants to come in and they want to put a factory right by the South Fork River and they buy the land and they're looking to do that, um, what I think would be reasonable is for my town commissioners to go in there and say, okay, well, what are you doing? And call in someone at an outside restaurant and say, hey, what is the actual risk to our environment and our economy if this factory pollutes our waterways? And if they come back and they have their actuaries do some numbers, then they say, okay, it, it's potentially a $3 billion law, you know, potentially $3 billion worth of damage if something goes wrong. I think that the municipality should be able to say to that company, hey, um, we're going to let you set up your factory here, but you have to maintain $3 billion
0: of insurance against this at all times.
1: So because we are talking not,
0: you're talking about doing a risk assessment.
1: Yeah, I mean, we you have to have risk assessment, but which in some cases they do risk assessments now. The problem is they'll do the risk assessment and say, hey, there's there's some risk here, um, but then they'll give them liability protection where it's like, okay, you could make $5 billion in, in damage if something goes wrong, but we're going to cap your liability at $1 billion okay, yeah, you get a billion dollars from them, but the taxpayers are paying the other four billion. You can't protect liability of any company that that's doing that. And I think when it comes to personal thing, you know, like personal ones, right? Say I, you know, I, I live in a townhouse community, right? Um, but say I lived in, you know, a single family home and had a yard and I had a neighbor, right? If, if, if I have chickens, uh, for, for example, and I'm, taking my chicken crap and shoveling it into my neighbor's yard. Like that's the kind of thing we should have things to protect against that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but as far as something like, Hey, if, if you buy the land, um, you know, and it's, it's your land. I, I think we need to, we need to, if, if it's a person, right. I don't want to tell somebody, Hey, you have the land. You can't cut down some trees to build yourself a house. I think that's kind of un-American to say, you know, if you went and bought a land, you know, some land next to where your Ron's is and you're like, Hey, I'm going to bulldoze a half acre of trees and build a house here. I really don't want the government getting involved in that but if a big developer who's not even from North Carolina you know right. some california or, or, or comes for over. example
0: just another example because this yeah. actually happened um, uh, we have some land that's collectively owned by by our large family um, and they sold the trees. You know what I'm saying? Sold the pine trees. Let a company come in and farm the trees. And I, I get that 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 the county should not have had any say on what you know we did with that land.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I think that you have to strike a balance, right? Because I, I don't want the government dictating it. But my big my bigger problem because you know you doing that right? You doing that with your per, your family's personal land right that you own. That's not really the big environmental problem. The big environmental problem is coming from these big real estate developers, these chemical companies, these mining companies. And and I I think that those are the environmental issues that really, you know, your, your neighbor who's pouring some waste into the stream, right? That's bad. And we should stop him. And if we catch that, that's bad. But one guy who's throwing a bag of trash in the river is nothing compared to what happens if something goes wrong over at Duke Energy.
0: Right, we right all ash you, you, We don't have yeah. to imagine if something go wrong. Stuff what? has gone wrong. I, I, I'm I'm trying
1: I'm trying to be you know a, a <laughs> little on. nicer and you know and not call out <laughs> Piedmont Lithium and so, some of these other you know companies. But I think that comes down to it is. If you want to do business in North Carolina, we want you to. We believe, you know, I believe in free markets. However, we are not going to be exploited by some big corporation outside of North Carolina. It's not going to happen where they come in here, take advantage of our resources, whether there are our, our human resources, the people of North Carolina, our natural resources. That's not going to happen. If you're going to put our state at risk, you are going to carry appropriate liability insurance that more than protects the actual potential damage. If not, You're not going to move forward with a project in this state, especially not one of these Mm -hmm. big ones, at least if I'm governor. Uh, Again, you want to bring a big, big business here to North Carolina, that's fine. I'm just going to make sure that you were doing everything possible to protect the interests of North Carolinians and the communities around there. Because if, you know, it was I think it was Ohio where Norfolk Southern had some massive environmental disaster where they they set like a, a derailed train on fire. And, you know, there was like oil in the water for miles. Norfolk Southern had federal government granted liability like this massive disaster that's impacting drinking water and I think they were capped at like a hundred million dollars or something like that wow. that should not happen and and I think that would be one thing that you know I, I don't haven't mentioned it in this one but the governor of North Carolina should be protecting North Carolinians from things the federal government does like if you if you really think through the idea if, if the federal government is overstepping, um, which I think they overstep in a lot of ways. I, I'd love to see the states fight back. And in some cases they have, right, California and and, and Colorado with cannabis, right? It, the federal government said it was illegal, and they said, get out of here. It's our state. And I think that that concept of nullification, where if the federal government is trying to do something that's against the interests of, of your state, I think that the governor should be fighting for the people of North Carolina, not fighting for that system that's trying to uh, make... You know, make victims of North Carolinians. So I'd love to see kind of reversing that power, where instead of kind of you know where you've got the the, the top down check, you know, checking the power. I'd love to see it bottom up, where you know if I'm governor and, and and I do something that you know Mount Holly doesn't like, if the Mount Holly town council says, ah, we don't like this, we're just going to stick with you know we're just going to nullify this law that Mike. That's kind of the system working as intended, is more direct democracy. Uh, and I'd love to see nullification, and I think that you know that's one thing as a as as a, uh, a governor I, I would fight back, uh, really in a way that no other governor ever ever would. Is is really fighting for anything that's the federal government's doing that's going to hurt the regular North Carolinian? Um, I'm just going to say, yeah, we're not going to enforce that in our state. Period.
0: All so. right, Mike. Well. I want to first thank you for accepting the invitation to come on uh, Black Talk Radio News. And I hope it won't be the last time that we can call on you to talk about the issues. Um, but um, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners tonight? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess let me close with
1: kind of the, the, the closing pitch. If, and
0: please you are- and please tell people where to find um, your campaign website we'd have linked to it in the show description on blacktalkradionetwork.com but you might want to mention it for the people that's listening uh via other means yeah ab-
1: absolutely so uh if, if you like what i had to say or you're curious you can head to my website it's fire the uniparty.com uh fire the and, and and that'll give you information all, all of my planks my background um but as I, I, you know, as the, as far as the offer to come back anytime, Scotty, you know, I, I'd love I'd love the the opportunity to, to chat with your audience. But if you are an unaffiliated voter in this state, um, both Robinson and Stein, you may like one more than the other. Um, but here's what I'll tell you, and I truly mean this from the bottom of my heart: they both work for Washington and not for you. They're going to do whatever their party party tells them to do, whatever whatever it is, whether it's in your best interest or not. I do not work for that establishment. I will never work for that establishment. And I will always put personal liberty and freedom first. And, I, and that is my overwhelming philosophy. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think if you are looking for a change, uh, if you think that criminal justice and prison reform is something that matters to you, I am the only candidate that really means it. Josh Stein likes to talk a good game. Uh, but when we were sending him letters when this was going on, he was ignoring them you know I, I don't know if jason's families have reached out to Josh stein but uh i would encourage them to he's the attorney general he should care he should be helpful uh he claims to care about justice so uh, you know if it, I, I would encourage his family to reach out to him and hopefully they get better results but when we sent that out he ignored them uh and i will not ignore you as governor if if if, if something was going on and you were wronged by an employee of this state if i am the the, the head of the state I will seek justice for you, uh, and I, I, I will not be too tied up in the role of, of governor, because at the end of the day, I believe the governor's first and foremost job is to protect, defend, and uphold the rights of every North Carolinian, and that is exactly what I'll do if elected.
0: All, r- all right. That's Mike Ross, and the website again is FireTheUniparty.com. FireTheUniparty.com. Uh, com. You can also look him up on the other social media uh, platforms. Again, thank you once again, uh, Mike, and you have a great evening and good luck with your campaign. Thanks so much, Scotty. Appreciate it. And thanks to all your listeners. And with that, we will say good night as we sign off from Black Talk Radio News. Again, part of BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Again, share the podcast with others. And if there's any issues that you think I should take a look at on uh, this platform, please let me know. Peace and blessings to all. Good night.